Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Happy to Meet Cute. This is Fallon Ballard here with my intrepid and very cozy co-host, Courtney Kay. <laughs> the weather has dropped below 80 for like a hot second, so we're freezing over here. <laughs> it's fantastic. I feel like we've come now full circle. We have. <laughs> but we're not complaining about the chill anymore. Yeah, not yet. I mean summer is still not over like october is usually one of the hottest months of the year here so we'll see what happens know. we'll but... still have our heat waves but yeah it's happening <laughs> fall <laughs> see for me because i'm closer <laughs> to the beach mm -hmm. than you are uh, my mornings are usually like kind of i mean Brisk. i don't say chilly but like <laughs> cooler than they, the rest of the day <laughs> is <laughs> and my kid is like such a california child like he walked outside yesterday and he was like i need a sweatshirt and i was like no you don't <laughs> oh you don't it's opposite i'm like do you want to bring a sweatshirt to school no no mom <laughs> by the end of their school day it's like a hundred degrees <laughs> like you don't need a sweatshirt it's fine this is a california season actually yeah, yeah. every year yeah. It's like we get the cold mornings the sweltering mm -hmm. afternoon and then it drops again in the evening and you need a sweater <laughs> yeah instead of having like actual seasons we just experience them all each day like yeah yeah yeah, yeah that's how we roll you know <laughs> good times <laughs> oh my goodness all right well i have been waiting for this moment for Ooh. quite some time now wait I... fabulous fallon there we go i have to say it <laughs> Had to get it in. I missed it. Yeah. Okay, go. What I are you totally. For? Okay. Well, first of all, let me just say I am one of those people that at the beginning of each month, I like make a monthly TBR list for myself. And part of that is like finishing arcs that need to be done in time, making sure I'm reading books for people who are going to be on the podcast. And so I like to like have it organized somewhat by date so that I am getting things done on time. You're amazing. Obviously that doesn't always work out, but I have good intentions and I like pretty much never deviate from my TBR. I'm like really good about it. But this week I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I have had fourth Ooh. wing sitting on top of my shelf for like four weeks now, just like <laughs> taunting me. And I was like, I don't have time to read this book. It's huge. It's like 500 pages. But I was like, I don't care. I'm doing it. And I, Courtney, <laughs> it's so good. It's Ooh. so good. Um, I should, I feel like I should maybe not say this on the podcast. But, say it then. Um, then you should absolutely say it. As a writer, I fully recognize that there are books that are highly, highly enjoyable and maybe not the best written thing I've ever read. And that's fine. Like, I'm here for that. Like, I don't think everything needs to be a freaking Nobel Prize winner. Like, I could not stop reading this book. I read those 500 pages over the course of like two days. Like, I could not stop. And it has been a really long time since I read a book that just like sucked me in like that. Mm -hmm. And it was just like... And I think what I love about it, and I think this is the problem that I think we are maybe seeing with this new fantasy romance genre, is like, there are fantasy books 
that have romance in them. And then there's fantasy romance. And those are two different things. And my favorite kind of fantasy romance are the ones where the world building is like really accessible and Mm -hmm. you aren't like drowning in names and places and like trying to figure out what the fuck everything is and where it goes. And I think that's what's so successful about fourth wing is like, you just dive right in. And yes, there are those strange names and places and you're trying to figure out the government and all that shit, but like, it just is so easy to get into. And I think that that's really hard to do. Like it's hard to create a world that is so separate, but still feels so easy to get into. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was just like, I finished it and immediately was like, I kind of want to read it again. Oh, oh, damn. I know. And I never read, reread. I never reread because I don't have time. (laughs) Too many books. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, well, and we were having that conversation about this book in particular, um, about like I, as somebody who hasn't even read it, but we were having this conversation, (laughs) um, I think like at Disneyland Mm -hmm. during Steam Lit. And we were talking about like, some authors are just fantastic storytellers mm-hmm. to the point where like, if there's something that doesn't like jive with you writing wise, it doesn't matter doesn't matter because you're like, I am here for the story. And honestly, I would rather read the storytelling book. Like I would oh, rather have 100%. that because I'm not going to read for like this sentence structure is impeccable. Like I don't care. I <laughs> want to disappear into the story you know yes yeah I totally feel that and I will not um throw this person under the bus that we were having this conversation I know it was a fantastic conversation but she said she in talking about fourth wing she was like like what is the point of this war what is the war what is happening like nobody can actually explain it and I was like totally true and I don't care like I don't care. I don't need to know what the war is about. I don't care. I mean, if you can write a whole fantasy romance and we don't even need to know like what the government's doing, I feel like that's, that's a marker of success. If you enjoyed it. Like, I really do think like books, you know, this is just my own damn personal opinion. Nobody else could agree with me, but like books should be, I don't even want to say rated. What's the word? Like, yeah, I guess rated on how they made you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, how did this book make you feel overall? Did you have a good experience? Did you love it? Like, did you, you know? Yeah. Totally. And, and of course, like, it's totally valid to critique every different element of books. And that's what a lot of people like to do. And that's cool. But I don't care about that stuff. I'm just like, did I like it? Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. Did, did I have a good time? Yeah. Um, and I did another thing that I don't normally do that I'm oh also gosh. very bad at, where I was like halfway through reading this book and I pre-ordered the second one. Oh my God. Okay. I know. I, know. Damn, I, know. I guess I have to read it now, Fallon. What have you done to me? It's so good, Court. Isn't it's there like, that... <clears throat> You know, there's that like rebel part of us that's like, everybody loves this book. It's everywhere. I won't read it. <laughs> oh, I definitely have that sometimes because I'm just an <laughs> asshole like that. <laughs> I'm like, no, 
But like, no. it's never going to live up to the hype. And then I read it and I'm like, this is the best thing I've ever read. <laughs> like, I'm such an individual. No. I mean, to be fair, there are some books that get hyped where I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. But then this one, I was like, all right, I'm going to give this a shot. And I was, it lived up to, it lived up to the hype. I will say that one and um, Divine Rivals, which is absolutely incredible. Oh, so good. Are we uh, in a romanticy era right now? We really, really are. And um, I'm, living, I'm living for it. And I hope that it holds on for a few more months so that I can actually put my book on something. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That would be good if we could just hang out in this romantic space for a few more months. That would be helpful. <laughs> it's not going anywhere. I hope not. I mean, it's just like so, it's just so fun. Like I so fun. get kissing and dragons in the same book. Like, yes, please. Thank you. Mm-hmm. I will take that any day of the week. Yeah. And I, it's so funny, like talking about trends in the industry too, because it's like, it's the same, I was going to say shit. I mean, it's not shit, but same stuff that's been here this yeah. whole time. Yeah. And it's just like, it cycles, you know, like For sure. things just cycle where they have a moment where like, that's what everyone wants to read at that moment. Um, because maybe a book like went viral and sparked that, you know? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. it's just so, it's so fast. It's so like, it will always be here. Yeah. Yeah. But I want that big paycheck, baby. I want, I also <laughs> want that for you. Yes. We'll see. I will have to say, um, taking some time. I know I talked about on the last one that I kind of was like looking forward to revising the romantic And I have to say, this is one of those that like, I took like two weeks kind of like away from it Mm. once I finished sort of drafting it and it like clarified so many things for me having that little bit of space and I I think I think at this point like I'm rewriting the whole ending but I just needed that time away from it for things to like kind of sort of fall into place in my head it's not the best fucking feeling ever it is we're like aha Okay, I had that moment on Tuesday. I have been working on my proposal, as you know, for 500 years. <laughs> and um, I have gone through, I think I'm on like the third outline for this book. <laughs> but I'm taking my time in like exploring every avenue going yeah. all the way. And then being like, that's not going to fucking work. Yeah. Um, this is boring. This is not the vibe. This is not what I want. And so now I'm going a very roundabout way that I have never done. And I'm actually starting by just writing the chapters. Like I have converted you, (laughs) but I am kind of doing it in an outliney way. So I'm going through the document and like, I have my little chapters and I'm like, this feels like I'm actually writing. Uh, but not because in each chapter I'm going through and like, maybe there will be little bits of a scene and little bit of dialogue, but it's like very outlined mm-hmm. and I'll put questions in there to myself. I'll put like, Oh, aha moments. Anyway, on Tuesday 
I cracked this book wide open. Yay! And it was like like the sun was shining down on me. It was like one of those magical writer moments. Yeah. And so like taking the time, because I, I did, I took time away. Yeah. And then it finally just came to me. And yeah. I told my agent, it's so funny, because like I kept telling her like, I'm going to have this book to you on Monday. Like I'm going to have my proposal to you on Monday. And over the weekend, it just wouldn't happen. I'm like, you know what? I'll have this to you when I have it to you because this project is just not doing well with putting pressure on it. Yeah. And I'm embracing it because it's the, it's the only time that I can. Yeah. I was just going to say that's like such a gift of not being on a deadline (laughs) is allowing yourself to like really invest the time in it and get it right. And sometimes you don't get to do that. And that is really frustrating as a writer, because I feel like I always know when I'm sending something to my editor that isn't where it should be. Yeah. And sometimes I'm sending it to her because I need help figuring out where it should be. Like Mm -hmm. that is definitely a thing, but sometimes I'm sending it to her because I'm like, Oh shit, it's due. And I, I have to. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Embrace the process. Yeah. Give yourself that space. I love that. Um, okay. Well, we have seriously, like, if you are a writer, this conversation today is gonna blow your freaking mind because Regina Black is so fucking smart. Like I was editing this episode yesterday and just like, still marveling in the wisdom that she just like, graciously spews with her adorable accent and her her brilliance, just like it seriously blew me away um we (laughs) talked about a lot of fun things too like cults i kind of forgot we had that conversation (laughs) i was like oh yeah we talked about cults i would Um, be in a regina black cult like if regina started a cult i'd be like ask no more i'd be up (laughs) um but please don't actually start a cult regina (laughs) did you totally good Um, yeah, Amazing. I, I can't, I'm just like sitting here smiling because I cannot put into words how much I love this human. Like Regina, you'll just be having like a conversation with Regina and it's like, you walk away. Like I know the answers of the universe now, <laughs> but and yes, she, and so she just like has like this very casual way of dropping the biggest mm-hmm. knowledge and like these epiphanies like that you <laughs> It's incredible. Yeah, it's wild. It's incredible. Um, so unless you're like driving or something, like maybe get out like a notebook and pen because you're probably going to mm. want some of this stuff down because it's so good. Good advice. Uh, yeah. And on that note, we will be right back with Regina Black. Hello. Happy to meet cute listeners. We are back today with um, a very special guest. Regina Black and I were um, Pitch Wars 2020 mentees together, and Regina is just so special to me, and I'm getting sort of emotional because here we are on the cusp of debut month um, for Art of Scandal, and before we move into that, let me introduce you. Regina Black is a former civil litigator, current law 
school administrator, and lifelong romance reader who has always been passionate about the depiction of Black women in popular culture. She currently resides in the southwestern United States with her husband and daughter. And let me tell you something, Regina can read the shit out of a publishing contract. Um, And I just adore you. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. How are you? So much. I'm good. I'm excited. I'm getting emotional too, just thinking about like the road. Yes, the road. (laughs) So long. How are you doing? Um, Almost how many weeks now are left? Oh, gosh. So it's August 1st. So maybe three. Three. I like to think it's three, maybe two. Let's just say ready. I have loved seeing all the beautiful reviews rolling in, all your starred reviews, baby. Thank you thank you. That is that is really nice. So yeah, like a lot of work went into the book. So seeing that is just really makes all of that worth it. So oh, it's been fun. So deserved. Do you wanna tell um Anybody who hasn't yet picked up your book, but definitely will after this podcast, um, about Art of Scandal? Sure. Um, So the Art of Scandal is contemporary romance. And um, I originally pitched it as The Good Wife, or Shonda Rhimes reboots The Good Wife. And I stand by that. (laughs) Um, It's about Rachel Abbott, who is this perfect socialite uh, wife to Matt Abbott, who is a mayor of an affluent suburb in Washington, D.C., and he's got his eyes on the White House. And when the book opens, she's icing a cake for his birthday party, and she receives a text from him that is very explicit that was actually meant for someone else, she quickly realizes. And so they're on their way to a divorce, but he's in the middle of his kind of um, his reelection campaign, which is basically his small step onto a congressional seat, and he can't afford a messy divorce. And so they come to an agreement where he pays her a million dollars and she gets to keep this big house um, if she keeps playing the dutiful wife and faking a happy marriage until he's reelected. Uh, but she meets this young artist who is 26. He's 10 years younger than she is. And um, it makes it a bit harder for her to keep up her end of that bargain because she starts falling for this younger man who is has some few secrets of his own. So that is the art of scandal. It is. I was telling Courtney earlier, mm-hmm. like... I just started it. I'm like 25 to 30% through. Um, I just found out who uh, Nathan's parents are. And I was like, I am like savoring this because it feel like I was a big scandal watcher back in the day. And like nothing has really quite captured that feeling, I think, since then. But I was like, this is like this like gritty but sexy like primetime soap opera and it's like playing out and it's like one of those things where if I were watching it on TV I would be very concerned about how these two are gonna make it work but since I am reading a romance like I have the added benefit of like knowing that it's going to be okay but in the meantime it is just so good I am just like siphoning out little parts of it so that I can like make it last. Awesome. 
Um, no, I love hearing you talk about it that way because everything you just described is completely intentional and was built into the design of the book. And I can go on. And there's a reason why when you read it, it brings to mind those primetime soaps because that's absolutely what I was going for. When I sat down to write the book, I was like, I want to write the book version of kind of the soaps that I grew up watching when I was young and the primetime soaps that I loved. And, you know, Shonda Rhimes is just great at that, like Grey's Anatomy, like all of her shows kind of have that really propulsive kind of fast paced high conflict story, a structure to them. But then they have that really deep character development and you get really attached to people. And I just love how that feels. And so when I was working on The Artist Scandal, I said, that's what I want this to feel like. So that's why you have like the different families. That's that's absolutely deliberate. Like you have like the big families and each family ha- kind of has their own identity and that sort of thing. That is all hearkening back to that design of that primetime soap that I love so much. So I'm obsessed. And we were saying actually before you logged on um, that it definitely needs to be a show yes. like or like a mini series or, oh, my God, just it has all the makings of that. And so, you know, Shonda, since you obviously listen to this podcast, <laughs> what are you it. waiting for? <laughs> <laughs> We do talk to Shonda a lot on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we, We're good pals. Someday, someday she'll make it over. <laughs> um, but that's what obviously we feel and see when we read it. And it's just, it's, it's absolutely incredible. Oh, and um, do you want to talk a bit about the inspiration behind it? Like further inspiration for the characters and whatever you want to share? Yeah. So this is always, this is a hard question for me to answer for this book because the original idea for this book, I I think at this point, it's like 20 years old almost. Wow. Yeah. So the very original, original kind of nugget of a brainstorm for the book happened years and years ago. I'm sure like the good wife may have been either on or like in that sort of thing. And I just had this idea that I wanted to write about this woman who lived like in a suburb. I have this obsession with like suburban people whose outward life is very perfect and their inward life is a disaster, kind of like that desperate housewives thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just really knew I wanted to write about a woman whose life was secret, like was falling apart behind the scenes and that on the outside looked like it was perfect. And her grappling maybe within like the issue of, you know, her identity or what she was going to do going forward and maybe encountering someone who she fell in love with through that process. Like, so that was basically the original idea. I knew I wanted to do that. And then the more I thought about it, I decided it was going to be a political scandal situation. And once it was a political scandal, it just kind of snowballed a little bit. I started pulling inspiration from, you know, the famous scandals that are out there. And, you know, Anthony Weiner was a big inspiration. Um, I could go on, I could list people, but, you know, pretty much your typical kind of 
political scandal where there's a woman that has to stand beside a man and that conversation gets going, oh, why did she stay? Why didn't she just leave? That sort of thing. So that was a big inspiration for, okay, me kind of thinking through, okay, why wouldn't she leave? Like what would make her stay? And then kind of putting that fun soapy twist on it or like, what if she got paid to stay? Like that that sort of like answering that question. And then when it came to the romance and who she was going to fall in love with, I just thought like, okay, who would be the worst person for her to fall in love with? That's what I do for all my romances. Mm -hmm. That's how I brainstorm them. I'm like, who is the absolute worst person for this person to fall in love with? And I just thought of the most scandalous type of character I could. It's like, oh, someone who's, you know, Asian appropriate, you know, from the outside. And, oh, now he's the, you know, who he is. I don't want to spoil who he is. But, you know, um, and that's kind of where the story came from. So it was kind of like this ongoing process and it evolved over time. So love that. That's a love. This could probably take us off on a really deep tangent, but I love how the question is always, why did she stay mm-hmm. and not why did he cheat? I knew exactly what you were going to say. <laughs> because yes, that is absolutely, absolutely always the question. And it's one of the things I wanted to, to kind of address in the book about how difficult it can be to leave. And a lot of that inspiration came from watching women in my life in similar situations where they came into a marriage and they just didn't have much and they didn't have anything. And the trust you put into someone when they say, that's okay, I'm going to take, I'll take care of you. I'll do this. And you believe that person, you love that person and you invest. I think in the book, she says she invested, you know, all her time and energy, you know, it, like in return to him, you know, being the breadwinner and to have that suddenly threatened unexpectedly after you're, you've kind of just settled into, this is my life. This is the way it's going to be. And then unexpectedly have to think about, okay, so if that's gone, what do I have left? And it's, it's a very scary thing. And for people on the outside, it's easy for them to say, well, go get a job or, well, just, you know, why don't you just, you know, leave him and why don't you go hire a lawyer and just fight? And the the emotional toll that can take, the financial resources mm-hmm. that requires, like, we really don't think about it from that standpoint. So I really wanted to write about Rachel really dealing with, okay, this is who I've been for most of my adult life at this point. Who am I now? And what do I do? So, And I love how you, in many ways, have taken, I mean, even just from opening with her icing a cake for him, like it mm-hmm. feels very symbolic, right? I love, mm-hmm. how, okay, you're nodding, so that's, I'm on track. But um, <laughs> I feel like I just love how you've taken this like patriarchal version of the good housewife, right? Yeah. And yeah. like totally subverted it. And made it so empowering. Um, I'm just obsessed with it. Like, I just got chills talking about it. It's incredible. Yeah. One of the things I also wanted to kind of shine a light on is how we do devalue a lot of work that traditionally women have done in the household because it's, you know, domestic work. Um, 
and really shine a light on everything she has done to contribute to their life as it is like, you know, what she really has invested and the fact that that does have value. Um, yes. That like, we don't, I don't think, I'm not going to say we don't talk about enough that enough because I do think we have that conversation. Sometimes I feel like I don't know that we see it enough in romance. <laughs> and so it was, it was kind of nice to write a character like that. And I know we don't see it very often with black women characters. And there's a long history of the reason why that particular type of role um, not only do you not see black women depicted in that role, but like in in reality, in real life, it's not a role that was really available to black women historically mm. for a very long time. And there were even laws in the books in a lot of places that would punish, that required black women to have jobs um, historically and made it legal for them not to work. And so to actually write a book where a black woman is put in that position is 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 inherently almost political, even though I mean it shouldn't be, but it is. It's a conversation that's being had about what does this look like from the perspective of a black woman in this country when we're not typically the housewife or the stay-at-home mom or that sort of the socialite. So um, that was interesting to kind of put her in that role, but also through the lens of her identity and kind of play with, with what that might look like for someone like her. You're amazing. And it really is interesting. Like, I think the, especially like the political wife, like that is a Mm -hmm. job. Yeah. You just don't get paid for it. And, you know, going to the events and doing the things and hosting the fundraisers and all of that stuff, like that's, that is work. That's a lot of work and a lot of time. Um, You just don't get a paycheck at the end of the day. So it's like, how are you supposed to save money or be able to support yourself when all of this work that you were doing doesn't make you any money at the end of the day? And so many of those political wives have these robust careers. Like I think about Michelle Obama and she was a very successful attorney. Um, And they 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 end up stepping aside from their careers and putting them on pause in order to support their husband's career. And she is very much a package, uh, like part of the package of that couple and part of his persona as a politician. Um, And so, yeah, I mean, it was really interesting to kind of play with that in the book and, and how desperate her husband would be not to lose that aspect of his persona, particularly because, um, and this was kind of inspired by like Bill de Blasio and his campaign. And Mm -hmm. in New York, when you're a white progressive Canada and you're married and you're a mixed marriage and interracial marriage, that becomes a part of your persona. And it's like, you're automatically presumed to be more progressive because you're in this, um, interracial union and, the fact that Rachel has this background that they're like, oh my goodness, she was a teenage mom and, you know, she came from nothing and she was poor when he married her. It all becomes like this narrative, this fairy tale, and then it gets hijacked from you and it gets commodified and it kind of, and, and it makes you really think about what would that do to a marriage? What would that do to two people who started out actually loving each other? And what does that do to their love story? 
So damn. What kind of? Um, I know you said that you researched a lot of different scandals. Mm-hmm. Were there any other? Was there any other research that you had to do, or really like did a deep dive in to develop the plot? And oh yeah, so I do. I I do a lot of research. One because I just like doing it. I don't know if that's the law, the lawyer in me. I don't know what that is, but I'm a huge research fan. And I don't, I, I always kick myself because I'm always writing books about professions and things that I don't do. It's just, it's stuff that I admire <laughs> and that I'm super interested in, but then I end yeah. up having to do a lot of research. So I'm not a visual artist <laughs> at all. <laughs> and I wrote a book about two artists. <laughs> <laughs> he is a he is a uh, illustrator. He draws, he paints, and she's a photographer. She's a collage artist, um, and I'm not either of those things. Uh, so I did a lot of research about art, um, and I, like I read entire books about the history of modern art. Like I I did. Um, I actually drew myself. I got a bunch of books and materials and like started kind of doing some drawing myself just to kind of get that tactile feeling of it and just kind of immersed myself that way. And I looked at, I did lots of research on contemporary artists out there right now, particularly artists of color and what was going on. Uh, Rachel went to school in in art history um, and wanted to be a curator when she graduated. So I did a lot of, you know, read a lot of books about what's involved in curation and like listen to a lot of memoirs and things like that. So I did tons of research on the art side, but I mean, like maybe 20% of the book. Oh, wow. But it just makes me way more comfortable trying to kind of slip into the character skin and see the world through their eyes when I kind of immerse myself that way. Um, But it was not easy. I will say it was very it was it was really not easy for me to really nail down like Nathan in particular, like as an artist and having to describe his art and things. That was really challenging, but um, it took quite a few revisions for me, I think, to nail kind of his artistic voice. But on the plus side, one thing I'm learning through this book and then the next book I'm working on is a lot of anytime you write about someone who's passionate about art creation, as an author, as a writer, you have so much in common with people who create regardless of what they're creating. And so I end up, I realized like, that's where you write those, you write within the margins of where it overlaps. And that's what, where it can feel authentic because at the end of the day, we're, we're all artists just trying to communicate a vision. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Like um, my husband is a musician Mm. and so I'll blather on about publishing things and, you know, he doesn't understand anything about publishing, but like he really gets like the imposter syndrome and just the, the fear with that comes along with, (laughs) sorry, child just walked into the room that comes along with, you know, putting your work out there. Yeah. I was thinking about how, Oh, can you hear me, Regina? Yeah, I can hear you. I was going to say there was one other thing I did research on that I wanted to mention. But oh my were gosh, you yes. About the art thing? No, you go for it. Okay. Um, so in addition to that, so um, so writing Nathan, 
So writing um, a Mexican-American male lead and writing his point of view, I did so much research just to make sure I was getting him right and his background right. So um, lots of, so I had, I think I had three authenticity readers at different stages of the book. Look at the book. I had a friend of mine who's Spanish speaking, helped me with the Spanish. I did um, a lot of research just to like get his background right. I developed an entire bio of his entire family. So I got all of that right. So that was another place that I tried to make sure I did a ton of research for the book. So he felt um, authentic and realistic, hopefully, as a person. So, well, I mean, you hugely succeeded. So, everything you put into this book is just so evident. Thank you. And um, you should be very proud, seriously. Yeah. Thank you. It was a lot of work. It was. I'm not Yeah, I'm like actually exhausted listening to it. <laughs> Well, I'm like, I just make shit up when I wow. <laughs> as far as like the world and like the settings and everything, you know, I'm like, I don't want to put this in a real place because I don't want to have to research locations. So I'm just going to make it up. But yeah. then I hear you saying how you'd put all this research. I'm like, oh my God, that's incredible. I'm such a slacker. <laughs> like, I honestly, I, it's, it's just how my brain works. You have no idea how many times I'm like, can you just write a book? But like, why can't you just <laughs> book? Um, so yeah, I, I feel like when I was younger, I used to be more laid, like I used to be able to just write stories. Um, mm-hmm. And now I feel like everything becomes like a dissertation and I'm trying to shake some of those habits, <laughs> but also I do find it fun to do all the research and immerse myself in all that stuff. So yeah, that's amazing. And that's your process. Yeah. Maybe next time you need to just like write about a lawyer. So then you don't have I to. Had, I've had that exact thought. <laughs> I just need to write a book about a lawyer. Is it too close though? Does it like hit a little too close? I think it doesn't. I really like to be challenged. Like that's yeah. that's when I always like the next book. Like, okay, how can I make this the process of writing the book interesting and challenging to me? Um, I don't like drafting; it's my least favorite part of writing a book. I love revision and editing; that's my favorite part. And I like building the book on the front end is also my favorite. Like the brainstorming and thinking of through the characters and that stuff. But the actual first draft part is my least favorite part. Um, so, um, I feel like when I do a lot, when I can do a lot of research and get really excited about a challenging concept, it kind of inspires me to actually sit down and draft. And it's a little bit easier for me to draft when I know a lot about the people and the world. And so the more I know, the just the more I have to say. And so it just makes the story flow out a little bit easier than if I just have kind of a thin understanding. So that okay. makes so much sense. Yeah. Yeah. And you've kind of been touching on this a little bit as mm-hmm. we've talked about like your research process, but I know that like creating 
characters that are realistic, that are flawed, that are deep characters is obviously something that like you really excel at. Um, so can you kind of like talk us through your process and how you give those characters those flaws that seem so real? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of like everybody. I think most people that write, you tend to get attached to your Mm -hmm. characters a little bit and that can make you protective of them, particularly if you, you concern yourself with like how they're going to be perceived by people that are reading them. Like you want your reader to like your main character because you like your main character and you want them to root for them and that sort of thing. But what they end up, what ends up happening is you protect them so much that they don't feel like people anymore. And so one of the ways that I trick myself into creating a flawed character is that a lot of times I start, when I start developing a character, I start with what's wrong with them. Like what, what is, what is their problem? I force myself to list out, you know, their, the wound that they have like what is the thing that happened in their past that gave them this flawed interpretation of life and how have they acted on it going forward so that's one of the first things I figure out about a character once I kind of have a general idea of what type of person I'm writing and doing that kind of really allows me not only to figure out okay what's this person's problem uh, I, it also helps me figure out, okay, you know, this person's a grown adult. They're single at this point. Why? Why are they single? And what has kept them from falling in love from this point? Because one of the things I try not to do in a romance is just kind of plop someone in a romance and put someone else in front of them who's very attractive and say, well, oh, of course they fall in love. And, you know, my brain is like this, these people encounter attractive people every day. Why, why did they, why this one? So um, it kind of just helps me take that character, introduce some flaws that make it believable that they would end up where they are at the beginning of the book. And then when they encounter that love interest who I've developed in a similar way, I get to pair their dysfunction or their problems in a way to where falling in love and meeting each other is one a path for them to both kind of overcome a lot of those issues. Um, but then, yeah, I just really, in addition to all of that, I have like a list of like everything that's wrong with this person. What are things they, are they selfish? Are they these things? You know, I pretty much commit to giving them negative things, but then I have to, have another list of the positive things. Okay. Yes, they are selfish, but they're also uh, super, they're really funny. They're super witty. Um, Or, you know, they're, you know, reckless, but they're super passionate and creative. And so, and I do my best through drafts and revisions to make sure I'm bringing both of those things out in the character at all times. Because one thing I realized about flawed characters and characters that make mistakes and choices is that readers can forgive a character just about anything if they empathize with a character and they understand their motivation. 
they don't necessarily have to sympathize with how they're handling it. Because if we sympathize with how they're handling it, they were handling it, they'd probably be well adjusted and they wouldn't be in the situation there in the <laughs> way. But you have to be able to see where a character is and tell the reader who they are well enough to to where when they make these choices in the book, even if they exasperate you, the reader can roll their eyes and go, yeah, but that's classic Rachel or that's classic Nathan. It has to feel consistent with who they are, what their motivations are, their goals, what they want and what their issues are. And, and that needs to feel consistent and true to the character all the way through the book. And I think that's really the secret of writing a character who is flawed, but the reader can still root for them to get it together and be interested in that journey. I think when you don't have that consistency or that understanding or the empathy with the situation in their end, not so much the sympathy, but just kind of knowing where those insecurities come from or why they're reacting the way they are to a certain situation when you have that in place and the reader kind of picks up on that, that's when they'll go, okay, I'm ready to follow this character through that journey. So those are a few of the things that I think about when it comes to developing characters. I feel like I should have been taking notes that entire time, but then I'm just like, okay, I can just go back and listen to that again. because I, <laughs> I need that lesson. Yes. I'm right with you. I'm like, I haven't felt that inspired about character development in a really long time after listening to you so. talk about, I'm like, do you teach, you teach workshops, don't you? Um, Here and there? Have I? I cannot remember. I feel like you did <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I, I feel I like do. you have. Yeah. I do a lot of mentoring. I've done mentorship programs since pitch wars. And then I do a lot of, I do a lot of teaching in my day job. So it's kind of, it all blurs together. So. <laughs> right. Okay. Well, everyone be on the lookout. Cause yeah. Damn. I would, I would sit in a classroom and listen to you for hours. That was incredible. Thank you. Cause it, it really takes a very, like sharp insight to be able to unpack your own process mm. and explain it like very clearly in a way that can actually help other people. Because sometimes people ask me questions and I'm like, I don't know, <laughs> <laughs> but like listening to you is so inspiring and you really have like that gift of being able to convey and teach others. And that's, that's so, so cool and so special. Thank you. Well, and I love doing it. So I think that's part of it. So that's, that's really like teaching has always been a big love of mine. And I love mentorship, which is why I jumped at the chance to do mentorship programs. Um, and I also just really love talking about writing and writing romance in particular. Um, I've been reading romance since before I should have been reading romance. Uh, <laughs> so it very much is a genre that I feel like I understand on kind of like that deep heart level of loving romance. And so it combining that with the fact that I love talking about writing and writing craft. So, yeah, I just love talking about everything involved in writing romance and, you know, how you write chemistry and how you write characters. It's really fun. So I love it. All right. 
Let's move into something a little lighter. Okay. But also (laughs) something I feel like we could probably talk about for hours and hours and hours, um, which is the amazing wave of 90s nostalgia making the comeback here in... God, I almost forgot what year it was. It's... (laughs) Forget the month. We don't even know the year. I know. I definitely had the moment where I was going to be like in 20 and I was like, wait, what? What? (laughs) Where are we? What's happening? What's going on? We do it Uh, for the 90s, kids. I just listened to that song. Oh, my God. That'll segue us right into it. (laughs) Amazing. Okay. What has been like your favorite comeback from the 90s? Oh, um, I think, God, there's so many. I think one of them might have been like the reboot of Saved by the Bell. Oh, yes. I don't know how many people watch that, but as someone who grew up watching Saved by the Bell, um, the way they made fun of the original, but also like respected the original and then brought the original people back. Like it was just, you know, I was watching it and I was like, I know this is technically not for my age, but isn't it like it just felt like something that was really for people for people in you know that grew up with Saved by the Bell and just that's to me the fun thing about the 90s resurgence particularly when you live through it when you're a kid in it um you know you experienced it but we're in that prime stage of you know every decade has that moment where it comes back and then there's the commentary about it, right? Mm -hmm. And the observation. And it's so fun to be someone that gets to be on that side of like the commentary on what you experienced. Um, I'm like, I know people that grew up in like the eighties and the seventies probably experienced the same thing, but I think we're in that moment now where, you know, the 40 year olds are like, their childhood is being dissected and on like a cultural level, a pop culture level, an academic level. And it's, it's just fun. And so that show to me was the prime example of that particular phenomenon. And I thought it was just like, I was addicted to it. I just kept watching it and watching it. And so that was one of my favorite things. Um, I'm also a really big fan of yellow jackets. Like I think, yeah, that show, I don't know if you've seen yellow jackets, but the past is a flashback to the 90s. The music, the soundtrack is phenomenal. Oh, <laughs> like wow. it's, it very much is they'll play a song and I'll immediately reach your Spotify because I'm like, I forgot this song existed, but I know every <laughs> word of it. <laughs> like, um, like the other day I was watching it and they had um, a song from Live, the group Live in it that in the when I was younger it was just it was everywhere it was on um movie trailers and all that kind of stuff and then I was like I forgot this band was a band that existed like <laughs> yeah and then as soon as you hear it it just takes you back and I absolutely love that feeling it was so fun so the music of it all is a little bit wild because yeah. so I'm a wedding planner And I would say the majority of couples that I'm working with at this point are like mid to late twenties, you know, like definitely significantly younger than I am, but the music that is 
getting played at weddings right now that is like packs the dance floor mm-hmm. well you always have your like original boy bands so like the backstreet in mm-hmm. sync early mm-hmm. britney always good get some spice girls in there here for that mm-hmm. always mm-hmm. but what has been happening lately and i guess this probably veers a little bit into the early 2000s too yeah. but we're getting like blink 182 <gasps> And I'm like, what is happening right now? I was such an emo kid. I was like, you guys were not listening to all the small things, like when that was originally released. And I'm like, what? How did you find your way to this? It's so strange. Did you watch the music video on your dial-up modem (laughs) computer? No. (laughs) On TRL? Excuse me. (laughs) No. Like the... Like the fact it's interesting to me because I've seen like I don't know where I saw it, but like this conversation about um music, like um people writing music into books and how like the younger characters will will like these eighties bands or they're like nineties bands and they'll be like, Well, you know, an older person wrote this because that's and I actually am like, no, actually the way young people listen to music now. Like you thinking that a young person doesn't know who Prince is, is actually showing your age. Mm. Because when we were growing up, music was very of the moment because it had to be because you were pretty much what you were exposed to was what was being played on the radio or what you could get a CD, you know, what CD was being carried in your music store. So what you had access to was limited. And in 2023, it is unlimited. You have you get Spotify, you have access to almost every catalog ever made at any time you want. So the lines of like decade stamped music are just completely blurred. Like, you know, my nephew loves old Michael Jackson songs, like, and he's 16. Like, so I think that's a really, really interesting and part of the reason you do have a lot of that kind of 90s resurgence. Because let's just be honest, it was a great musical decade. We know it was excellent. It's good stuff. It was good stuff. Um, so yeah, but I, it, it really is fun to think about like my daughter is seven years old. So it's, it's fun to think about like, okay, so what is she going to kind of reach back? into our past and kind of like, Oh, actually I do know she latched on to Britney Spears. She was hung up on Britney Spears for a while and was like the, like old school, original debut album, Britney Spears. So, so good. I know. Classic. Classic. I love that. I, uh, took my boyfriend at the time, his like, eight or nine year old sister and like three of her friends to see the original tour where Brittany opened for NSYNC. Oh my. Just a life defining moment. <laughs> so good. And that was when they were like just starting to date and it was like rumors, but it wasn't like confirmed or anything yet. And I was just like, laying the foundation for my romance writing career there was also a really great book um and i should have looked up the last name of the author and i always get it wrong the book is called the 90s i don't know if y'all heard of that book it's a non-fiction book and it's just called the 90s um 
And it just goes over the decade. And it's just this commentary on everything from like Polly Shore to Crystal <gasps> Pepsi. Like it's, it's so good. I just, I think anyone who lived through that decade, I'm like, please go read this book. I listened to it as an audiobook. It is fantastic. So that's my, that's my <gasps> book, right? Thank you for that. Oh my yeah. God. Love that. All right. Oh, go ahead. No, you go. No. Okay. So I only had one little contribution. So growing up, as I've mentioned on the podcast before, I was, I grew up in like a very conservative Christian household. So I wasn't allowed to like, listen to a lot of the music of my time, but obviously I did. And um, I would record it like I would listen on the radio and then like hit record and like make my own little <laughs> mixed songs. And yeah. like listen to them quietly on my Walkman. Oh my God. But so I wasn't able to watch Saved by the Bell. And just like bring us full circle here. So now getting to relive it is fun because I can look back and be like, oh my gosh, this is so funny. Like everyone was obsessed with this show. And in another life, I taught preschool and I promise this relates. But so in my town, um, at one point, I don't know if he still lives here, but Mark Paul Gosler lived here. You know, he still does. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, he toured our preschool for like his child. This was years, like probably over a decade ago. And um, everyone freaked out. Like all of the teachers were like, I swear to God, you would have think it was like the Grammys. Like they were decked to the nines. <laughs> and like what was were the classes being taught that day no like everyone was like popping their head out of the door like watching him we were like on our walkie-talkies he's entering (laughs) so funny but I didn't grow up with that crush on him because I didn't watch the show so I was like what are you guys doing you're like the only one who can have a conversation with him (laughs) Um, unfortunately I was, I didn't get to, um, but it was, it was quite a moment. I'll never forget it. You <laughs> did to the school. So ironic. There was no bell, unfortunately. Oh, <laughs> one, one last nineties thing I want to mention is the rom-coms that, mm. uh, so not only, I mean, you see a lot of think pieces about them and discussions about them, but I feel like a lot of the romances that are coming out are using a lot of the 90s rom-coms as inspiration. So yeah. there's a lot of that. Um, but a lot of people don't talk about, you know, in the 90s was kind of like a Black romantic comedy heyday too. So there are a lot of those. And I've, I've been seeing a, like a lot of art and a lot of discussions surrounding that. So it's really nice. Like the best man was one of my favorite romantic comedies back in the day. Like I watched that over and over and over again. I loved it so much. And the fact that they had that new best man series come on Peacock recently. And then it it was like all over TikTok and that sort of thing. And then people were going back and watching all the best man movies. Um, it's just it, to me that's just it was just such like a joyful moment but like I just kind of love that piece of like oh look mine is like my history my nostalgia and then this is the new version of it so it's great it just makes me 
super excited when I see stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Like I'm fully aware they're catering to our market and I'm here for it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's fine. I'll take it. Yeah, take, it. It take my money. Yes. Take my money. That's fine. I have the urge to get a Tamagotchi. Is that bad? Like <laughs> I really want one. I had a lime green one and I really want it now. <laughs> I miss my caboodle. They were great Dude. for organizing. Yes. Everything. My my makeup's a mess. I'm like, I just need to get an old school caboodle. Yes. What kind did I, you have? Mine was see-through purple with silver glitter. I think mine was just pink on the top, like the yes. pink on the top yeah, and the purple at the bottom. And it was kind of a classic caboodle. Ugh. I went to, so Disneyland had like a 90s night. Like this was a couple years ago. It was pre-pandemic. And so I bought like a little mini caboodle to use as my purse for the event. And I like still have it because I'm like, this shit is amazing. It is. It really is. Yeah. Yes. Oh, one last 90 thing. So I worked at Blockbuster (gasps) when I was in college. I worked there for years. And for Halloween this year, I decked out my whole off. Everyone in my office, I convinced that us them all to dress up like Blockbuster video employees. That's all I remember. You did that. That's so cool. It was so fun. <laughs> and all the students, like they were just so impressed. They were like, "Oh my god, this is so cool!" And I was like, "This would only be cool right now in this moment, like because the '90s are cool again." Like. Two years ago, y'all, what is this? (laughs) I love that. Amazing. That's a great costume idea. It was fun. Love that. All right. Well, we had a perfect segue a minute ago when we were talking about taking all my money. Oh. But then we had more interesting conversations (laughs) to happen. But speaking of taking all my money. um, Love it. Colts are really good at that, right? That's like... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> amazing challenge you know i do what i can this is <laughs> the highlight of my day right here so um okay i am super into cults not being a member of them <laughs> not like in in <laughs> not in not in the <laughs> um but i yeah i just find them all so so beyond fascinating and Every once in a while, I have those moments when I'm like watching like a cult documentary where I'm like, okay, I see how people got into this one. Mm. <laughs> how, how did you start your cult journey? <laughs> so I was doing, always, I was doing research because yeah. yes. for a, a different book idea that I have. And there is this intersection between, and this is going to give away a little bit of my book idea. I'm just going to hint at it. Uh, there's this intersection between, you know, cults and cult leaders and con artists. And as I was doing research for this book idea, I just started to see more and more kind of how there are certain um common characteristics between people who end up starting cults or being cult leaders and people who are con artists or people who start, um, you know, MLM companies, um, you know, those sorts of things. When you start kind of doing that deep dive 
into like the language of cults or the in the and how scam artists and con artists convince people to part with their money uh, when from the outside we're looking at it going oh my god how how did you not know or how did you not see or how could you fall for that and once you start to really do a deep dive into what convinces people to do that it's a similar thing that convinces people to join a cult um and then you start seeing the cultish yes i did read that book it's a really great book cultish mm. the language of fanaticism another book wreck um you really start to see that language and that thought pattern everywhere um once you start really doing a deep dive into kind of both of those things and overlap so it's really fascinating because i feel like one of the things that protects certain types of cults is that we have this stereotypical idea of what a cult looks like. And it looks like the Branch Davidian. It looks like these kind of classic kind of religious fanatic cults mm-hmm. that end very tragically. And I think that's what we as a society have kind of just said, oh, that's what a cult is. So, but this isn't that. So it can't possibly be a cult. And, but once you start kind of peeling back those layers, you're like, oh, this smells like a cult, <laughs> you know? So, um, you know, sort of workout programs, certain makeup brands, certain, you know, business opportunities, the things that convince people to go all in and that sunk cost kind of fallacy of, well, I've already invested all of this fill in the blank. It may be money. It may be time. It may be an entire belief system. Like I've devoted my entire life to this faith or I've put my entire inheritance into this, um, you know, investment fund that is giving me returns that are too good to be true, which is what happened with Bernie Madoff, you know, and someone's coming to you and saying it is too good to be true. No investment fund gets returns, never loses money. Like that's mathematically impossible but you've invested your entire savings already. So it's a similar thing as like, well, I've bought all these Avon products. So I guess I have to, you know, buy more so I can like stay in Avon or up and keep selling. Like, so if you really start looking kind of along the pattern, you start seeing those patterns. And it's absolutely fascinating to me. So, um, so yeah, that's how I got into it. Damn. I want to read whatever book it is you were doing this research for. It's another fun. It's a fun one. (laughs) That's all I can say. Sounds amazing. Yeah, I find the whole thing so fascinating. And I love now that we just have a plethora of podcasts and documentaries. Mm -hmm. And they're all, it's like, they all have a through line. But each one is like fascinating in its own Mm -hmm. right. can't get enough and i mean I don't know what that says about me but no i mean it's it's a fascinating psychological study because it really preys on the primal instinct to want to belong to something mm-hmm. and to want to be accepted and mm-hmm. the way that cults can do that is pretty i mean terrifying i mean yes it's terrifying but it's also like i don't know what am i trying to say Regina, <laughs> I know you know what I'm trying to say. Like, terrifying is a good, yeah. It's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's scary is a good word for it. And it's predatory. Like, 
it's predatory. And then when you start looking at who it is that is being preyed on, it is very much vulnerable people. It's financially vulnerable people. Like that's the part that really, you know, I'm not saying that someone who isn't financially vulnerable deserves to get like all their money stolen, but the fact that a lot of these people intentionally target people that are, um, that need maybe mental health services or they need mm. support and what they get is a story. Um, and one that financially ruins them is heartbreaking. And yeah. um, so, yeah, like I'm, I'm feel like I'm bringing the room down. <laughs> no, no, I, um, actually, so I think also that's why, especially in religion, cults mm-hmm. thrive because you have this position of power, which is the pastor or the leader or whatever, who then people think is the supreme because they're getting their information from a supposedly higher power. And a lot of people come to religion because they're seeking acceptance or seeking help or assistance, or they're in a hard place in their life. Anyway, I guess, as you can imagine growing up, (laughs) I was not in a great church, but, um, so I have, yeah, yeah, not to get like too personal, but it's fascinating how leaders can then manipulate um, to the point where you would do something. They would have people do something they would never do otherwise because they think uh, it's fascinating. I can't really put it into words correctly, but it's sad and fascinating and messed up. And it, and it does, it does kind of, you'll see it in a lot of different, um, you'll see it in faith. You'll see it in professions. Yeah. You'll see it in a lot of different places. Um, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like this might be something I asked you to edit out, but you, you'll see it in publishing. <laughs> sure. Like, um, but oh it, yeah. Yeah. You can think and about it and let us know later. I'll think about it. <laughs> um, but there are certain pockets of pretty much every industry where you will have this kind of dogmatic belief system that someone is making money convincing everybody that they have the answer. And mm-hmm. all you have to do is what they say and you will achieve your goal or you'll get out of that debt or you'll, you know... And everybody wants to believe that. And everybody wants to believe that there is, and we all want to believe we're special. Like that's something that I think is uncomfortable for people to accept. Mm. But the reason people fall for scams and cons is because when someone comes and says, I know this is sounds too good to be true, but not the reason everybody else doesn't have this information is because everybody else is not you. Like you are actually deserving of this information or you're the lucky one or, you know, we all want to believe that about ourselves, which is not necessarily a bad thing, like to have faith in yourself, but it's something that people tend to prey on. Um, And so something we have to watch out for is that kind of, is that person that's standing in front of us going, no, I know that everybody else has done it this way, but you're different. 
So, mm. <sighs> so much. So good. Yeah. All right. Well, your cult project can remain a secret for now, but <laughs> <laughs> can you tell us what you're working on next that you're allowed to share? Yes, I, yes, I can. Uh, so my next book is was just announced. It's called August Lane. And it is coming out in hopefully summer 2025. And it is about, oh, my country accent is coming out now because I'm talking about August Lane. Yay! Uh, <laughs> Amazing. Uh, so it's about a country singer. He is a one-hit wonder. He had this one, he was very young, or he had this one country song hit. And after that, his career went tanked and he basically hit bop rock bottom and now he just kind of sings in roadhouse like crappy motels and things and of course all anyone wants to hear from him is that one song um but he gets the opportunity to open for one of his childhood idols who is a black country singer pioneer she's being inducted in the country music hall of fame she's the first black woman to be inducted there and they are from the same hometown and he is a black a biracial black man and she wants him to open for her and he's super enthused but the catch is he has the concert that she wants him to open for her is in his hometown which is where her daughter lives who is his childhood kind of secret like pining love and the person who actually wrote the one hit that he lied to everyone and said oh, that she yeah. yeah and so so her name the daughter's name is august lane august lane is the person that wrote the song she is still in the town she is fiery she's prickly and she has not forgiven him whatsoever and when he goes back she is like get she's gonna get a revenge so but um they also will have to deal with a lot of the feelings that were unresolved from all those years ago. So, I love it already. Yeah, it's called August Lane. Sounds amazing. It's and so, so good. So that's a fun one. And obviously I'm doing a lot of research for it, but it's really fun because I get to listen to like all these black country singers and it's just, it's great. It's really fun. Yay. Oh my Very God. Cool. I'm obsessed with it. Counting down already. Sounds good. All right. Before we let you go, can you tell our listeners where they can find you on social media to keep up with all of your amazing book news? Yeah. So I'm, for the most part, I'm on Instagram these days. Um, it's Regina Black Rights um, on Instagram. I'm a, on Twitter a tiny, itty, tiny little bit. Um, and that is Regina Black Rights, but the black has no A in it because Twitter won't let me be great. Um, <laughs> and such is can, Twitter. Uh, just such is Twitter. <laughs> uh, and then you can find me on I'm, my website is reginablack.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been an amazing conversation. I literally will be going back and taking notes. Yeah. <laughs> um, so thank you for your wisdom and for sharing all of your knowledge with us. Uh, thank you for having me. That's fine. Thank you, Regina. We adore you. <laughs> and thank you everyone for listening. And we'll talk to you next week.
Thank you so much for listening to Happy to Meet Cute. If you enjoyed our podcast, we would love it so much if you would give us a follow on social media. We are at Happy to Meet Cute on Instagram. And also, if you could please leave a review and subscribe, that would be amazing. If you would like to follow your host, you can find Courtney at court underscore K, K-A-E, on all social media platforms. And you can find me, Fallon Ballard, at Fallon Ballard, everywhere you imbibe your social media. If you would like to buy any of the books mentioned in this episode, you can find links in the show notes. And a special shout out to Zachary Kibbe and Matt Ballard for our amazing theme song. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.